Good afternoon. We are back again with the Just Breathe podcast brought to you by the Demers Child Study Team. I am uh, Chris Nerkesian, Mr. Nerkesian, as they know me. I'm Mr. N. Once again, I'm with Dr. Terzini Holler. Good afternoon, and how are you, Mr. Nerkesian? Good to see you again. It's great to see you. Good to see you. Oh, we have a very exciting day today. We very do. exciting day. Absolutely. Now, the whole, whole idea of our podcast is focusing on um, our students and not the academic stuff. We really talk about the academic stuff. We're talking about the social and emotional stuff, the other two sides of the triangle. And we really focus on students, but today we're focusing on parents. Yes, and we have some very special guests very from special the guests. Um, deep Who are our special guests? Um, why don't you introduce them? I have <laughs> and Mary McConville, and they are, so we're very happy they're joining us today. It's good to be here. We are very excited to be here. We're happy to have you. So every time we get together, we have some sort of source material that we kind of start our conversation with. And um, our source material today is an article. And it's about parent burnout, the impact of parent burnout, especially the last two years or so. And there was lots of different things in here. And I could go down like 30 different avenues to be honest with you. So I just want to say that we that I got the article from the American Psychological Association. They Let's give did, them credit. Yep. They did um, cover COVID and the impact of COVID in various parts of um, the society, how it's impacting children, how it's impacting parents, how it's impacting school, work life. So I took this article from um, Dr. Ashley Abrams. Abramson, Abramson, yeah. And um, it's called The Impact of Parental Burnout. So let's talk about you're a dad, right, Mr. Nicasian? I am a dad. Yeah. (laughs) Here's my impression of um, what I kind of thought happened. So March, I'm watching the show on Apple TV about what the the newsroom, whatever it's called. And in that show, it's kind of like the beginnings of... It's not coming here. It's not going to come here, kind of. Right. So that's what they are in the show. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it came here and in March of 2020. I, I, you know, like, here's my... Remember when you first have a child and you're like, only these people could come over. I'm not taking a baby out. I want to build up their immunity. We're going to stay in the house for six or seven weeks or whatever until oh, I feel that comfortable to to be shown to the rest of the world. That's kind of like I felt happened. With COVID. With COVID. Mm-hmm. And you think people are now starting to feel comfortable going back out into the world? Well, eventually you're definitely going to take your child out, but those first yeah. couple of weeks you're like, i got to build up the baby's immunity. I want to protect them. We're staying home. We're hunkering down. Only like immediate family can come see the baby. That's kind of how, I don't know if, I'm, if, if, that's, if anyone else has similar feelings to that. I mean, I've always been a non-germaphobe. So COVID really hit me harder because I don't think of the world as a danger. Even when I had my kids, like, I, and not that I'm a risky mom, but... I just, you know, I have pets and I let them lick my face. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like washing the hands and being extra careful. It was, it was actually really hard for me to wrap my brain around the, the the importance of it. Like, yeah. And, and to become 
that without going too far where because the anxiety and so at one point you know when everyone was washing their groceries yeah that was scary right I was like I can't do this mm -hmm. like I I because I can go down that rabbit hole and I can think of everything that I've touched and you know but I chose to save my sanity and I was just like that's I'm gonna wash my hands I'm gonna control it from that point so, and so. I, th I think what's really interesting is that people who were kind of predisposed, and children also who were mm -hmm. predisposed, predisposed to anxiety and depression prior, this really acted as an accelerant, yes. right? So even if you had a really good repertoire of coping skills for the depression and for your anxiety, for many people, COVID was an accelerant, and those coping skills became kind of obsolete, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it was just too hard. Yeah, I think for me it was a lot of the unknown that was scary. Yeah. Really, you know, nobody knew. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just that I didn't know. So even the recommendations that were out there didn't necessarily mean that my family would be protected. Um, so I actually erred on the side of being careful. Um, even in situations where, I, I remember even the first day, I think it was a Sunday, um, and well, Friday, but on a Sunday, I remember that, that um, my son wanted to go see his girlfriend, and I found out that they had been in the city, and I basically told him that he couldn't, mm -hmm. and it wasn't perceived as a positive thing, not by him, which I understand, but at that point, not everybody knew what was happening, mm. and to me, not being able to, not knowing the impact of things and not knowing what's, I'm very data driven, mm -hmm. so not having that data to cope with really sort of threw me off. Um, so that was a really hard decision to make. And I wasn't the favorite person <laughs> in the house or, you know, outside of the house, but it was sort of, I was erring on the side of being cautious. And I think different people came to an understanding of the severity of the situation at different times. Mm -hmm. My husband being one of the people who came to this understanding at a very late point in time and me at a very early point in time. So okay. I'll start with him. The day before they closed all the restaurants, the night that they closed the restaurants in Manhattan, he and 10 buddies were at a restaurant. <laughs> and I was like... Are you kidding me? Because I had watched this come from China to Italy. I don't think, I don't know how many people know that the reason it hit Italy so hard, not only because they had an elderly population, but because a lot of their tailors come from oh. China, right? Because mm -hmm. there's like, you know, canali and some of the fine clothing that, that, you, that requires good tailoring. A lot of the tailoring is coming over from China. It's no longer an Italian kind of profession. So I was watching, I have relatives in France, I have friends in Italy, and I was watching this. And then my dad was very ill at the time, and the person, who, the, the nurse who was taking care of him was like, I'm being taken off of um, my elderly caseload and being put onto the COVID caseload. And I was like, oh my God, this is real, and it's coming, and it's coming fast. So my anxiety level, because of that lack of data, was super high. My husband was like, ah, it's just like the flu. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And so, you know, it's really interesting to see what everybody's experience 
of the situation was. It's right? a hard gap to bridge. Yes. Then you're all in the same house with, you know, you don't go out and everybody's in the same house all day long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it's hard as is. And then definitely when there's, when there um, different understandings of the situation it definitely makes it you know we saw that at home as well yeah you know, the kids with my yeah. husband it's definitely challenging and I think it, the experience of COVID also was different for people who lost mm -hmm. family members and friends um, people who were taking care of elderly people who had compromised family members so and your age group yeah so I feel like my age groups, because we're kind of right in the middle, saw the loss of a lot of, you know, people in their 70s and their 80s, where somebody in their 20s or 30s was like, hey, unless it was affiliated to a grandparent, was like, oh, this is going to be fine. We're going to be fine, right? Yeah. So definitely had an impact. So as we continued with um, being in our house, houses, um, there was lots of discussion about you know, our our sanity and the word self care. Everyone was talking about self care. I still don't know what that is, but <laughs> self care being the cure all for us. And the article focused on burning out as a parent, burning out, and you know, just wanting to get away, wanting Calgon take me away, kind of moments. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went from, you know these multi-dimensional people to one dimension and that hyper focus on that one dimension caused lots of people to burn out I, I think parents were and women of course again were at great risk for burnout because we have a very traditional view of roles within the, the home, and moms stepped up. If they were working moms, they were negotiating both work and what's more important than your child's education. How precious is that to parents, right? Yeah. And then I think we saw a disparity in zip code. So Jonathan Kozel wrote a book in the 1980s called Savage Inequalities, where he looked at places like Jersey City, and I was a teacher there at the time, and zip codes such as Demarest, and he saw this great divide. And I think we saw a great divide again. We had the technology. We were able to keep up with our children's education. We were able to work from home. And places like Jersey City and Newark, the zip code was the divide, right? Yeah. So we kind of saw the stressors within homes because if you were functioning well as a family prior, the likelihood is that COVID was a blessing hmm. because you weren't commuting. You were f having more family time. You weren't running around after school until 10 o'clock. And so you were able to kind of join as a family. And for those families who were already struggling, the divide, I think, got bigger. You know, so I don't know how you guys feel about yeah, that. Yeah, well, first of all, I think just clarifying what burnout is, because mm -hmm. I think people hear the word burnout and it's just like, oh, they're just exhausted, they're just tired. But really, and I think in the article it touches upon that the fact that burnout is really the lack of, it's not doing so much, it's doing so much stuff, but not the right things for you. Like not having that, I, I hate using the word balance because mm -hmm. I know that moms and, and parents, there, there is no balance in parenthood, but you have to have the right mix of 
getting all the things done and and making sure everyone's needs are met, but you as a parent also have to have an outlet for your enjoyment or pleasure or or intellect, whatever, you know, that helps you to then be that nurturer, be that, that parent. But I definitely agree that unfortunately there is a huge divide and it's like how how can we help family because and it's generational mm-hmm. they it builds upon what their parents taught them and what their grandparents taught their parents and then taught them so i feel like the way that we can help that is is to acknowledge it. Like I think, I think step number one is yeah, it's, you know, and leaving the preconscious state of awareness and actually acknowledging that there's a problem. Like just that acknowledge. Like I think if we acknowledge, like, and because I do think that the, what I do think that happened during all of this is the ability to show that we can. We can use technology in a very positive way. So I think why can't, you know, if we, if we could get the technology to those, you know, places that, that need it and then have the education. My husband's always talked about, like, the, the big private schools have, you know, so much wealth of, of resources. If they could partner with another school, like a, 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 a public school that needs to help, where they're, they're able to connect via Zoom, via whatever technology, and the students are exposed to that, and someone shows that they care, I think that's like, I think it's a small step, but I think that could make a, a huge world of difference. Because these parents are, they don't, they don't have the resources, like they, you know, and they're struggling themselves. But I think that's where schools could really be uh, a place. <laughs> I think no, I, I completely agree, and I think you were spot on with the zip code, and mm-hmm. I really saw that very clearly because my son Eli goes to a special needs school, mm-hmm. not in district, and so there are children. We're probably 50 minutes north of the school, but there are kids that are 50 minutes south, west. So um, the school was actually really great in providing, I mean, from day one, from Monday, the first Monday, we had Chromebooks for all the kids, um, and they had their schedule. So we were very fortunate that, you know, we really had a schedule for the kids. They didn't have any sort of downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are kids from a lot of different zip codes. Um, so, for example, I feel very fortunate that, you know, I, Eli didn't know how to operate the computer, how to go into his Google Calendar, how to figure out, and he needed somebody sitting there with him every second of the day. So I, I'm very fortunate that, you know, as a family, we were able to say, okay, that was my job. I basically sat with him from the morning till the afternoon and doing homework with him. Um, but there were parents from other zip codes that, that weren't as fortunate, unfortunately. And they were working in really supermarkets, they, right? They, mm. Yeah, yeah. The, or or there was a language barrier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of 
have different, you know, it's not, there were just, it was very, very clear that, you know, some kids had more support than others um, at home. And I think everybody wanted to support the kids, but it really was very, very demanding. I mean, of um, course, that's your number one, when you become a mom or a dad, that's your number one goal, right? You want mm -hmm. to support your children as much as possible. But then there's that that Maslow con conflict, right? You have to put food on the table, so mm -hmm. those, those emotional needs, you know, come after um, the basic needs, yeah. Yeah, so we, I really feel very fortunate, you know, and the school was very good in um, helping the different families, mm -hmm. providing with the support they needed um, from a behavior perspective, you know, having behaviorists help out because it's, it, it was really, um, you know, it was challenging for, for our family. But I think we were, as I said, we're very fortunate to be in a good situation. Um, but to have, you know, a sibling sit next to a special needs child during the day when they also have their own mm -hmm. school work to do and, you know, it's just, it's not ideal. So I think um, that was definitely a challenge. But I always choose to look at the silver linings. I try to at least. I don't <laughs> always succeed, but I try to. So I think a lot of good things came out of it. I think parents that were involved, even if it parents from areas or that weren't able to sit through the entire day, got to know the teachers, got to know the, the, the um, um, kids in the class, um, learned more about their kid. I think I learned Eli, I learned about Eli in a way that I never did before. Mm -hmm. I've never had that line of sight into his day-to-day. -day. I've observed him, and I, I think I am pretty involved, but... I saw him in a completely different way that really... A lot of parents said that. A lot of parents said that it was very illuminating to really understand how their children were interacting with education, with the resources, that they had this fantasy, whether it was more positive or negative, mm -hmm. about who their child was, and they were actually able to almost like watching their kids on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and I think that's something that is going to help me help Eli for the rest mm -hmm. of his life because I think I'm, I, I just I know more about him. I yeah. really do things that I never had access to before, um, and I think a lot of positive things. I mean, we talked about technology and offering that to other schools as well. You know, again, I'm, I keep going back to Eli, but um, <laughs> he knows how to operate how to you know, look at his calendar, to get into meetings, go into Google Docs. He has skills that he can now, in the future, they're, you know, things Those that he can use in the workplace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I think through that experience, yes, it was a fast, fast <laughs> process. They had to learn very quickly. But, you know, towards, I would say, um, the second, or the summer, he was already able to do a lot of things on his own and didn't need me to click didn't need me to, to get great. him into the meeting. So yeah. I think, you know, he learned a lot of skills that are, yeah, they probably weren't on the list of, you know, um, topics that were supposed to be covered <laughs> um, during the school year, but, you know, definitely skills that um, made him more independent. Um, I think you're bringing up a really interesting point because those are organizational skills that a lot of times educators look at as the hidden curriculum, mm -hmm. and it couldn't be interwoven into the classroom. It had those skills had to be up front 
forward addressed immediately because they were the first step, they were the portal to being able then to access education in a new way. So I think you make a phenomenal point, right? We've spoken about how before COVID, you know, there was a lot of negativity around technology and w was the use of technology kind of ruining basic educational systems. And you and I had, during one of our po podcasts, a conversation about how really integrating the good parts of technology into the good parts of like traditional education was a benefit from COVID. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, like any tool, it's how you use it. You know, a hammer can build and destroy. Yeah. So mm -hmm. same thing with technology. Mm -hmm. um, we saw some really good things with technology, and it really brought us a lot of people closer than, and especially different sides of people that, like you just stated, you never would have had an opportunity to, to witness. So um, it was a, it was a, it was a good thing, but we've also talked about how um, you know when it, if it's not used correctly, and we do a lot of work now with digital citizenship. There was no such thing as that what five ten years ago. No such thing as digital citizenship, and when used, and and you know we have digital citizens now. We were forced into be digital citizens, right. and using it properly and being respectful of each other, and and you know. Um, it, it it was a benefit, you know. It really came through, and, and of course, me. I've been pushing this, and till till my uh, colleagues' ears have been bleeding about you know doing all this stuff, and you got to get on the train. But uh, you know, I think it, it worked out, you know. Yeah, I'm surprised that. So now I have a middle schooler, and I'm really surprised at parents' lack of interest in in making sure that their kids are good digital citizens. Like, mm -hmm. they're all about, you know, being nice and in public and having manners, but they're not teaching them. Like, and, and when I have conversations with other parents, I was talking to Irene about this, that they're like, well, you got to let them figure it out for themselves. And I'm like... This, it, like, no, like, you're giving them a tool. Like, you need to be the training wheels. Maybe in high school you can let them start to test things out on their own, but not in middle school. And no. I was, I'm shocked, shocked. And <laughs> the access, I mean, and mm. that's why you had brought the, um, the police officer in, because students have access to material that they're developmentally um, unable to really access, right? So yeah. why don't you speak a little bit about the, yeah. the speaker that we had? I forget her name. <laughs> Detective Feehan yeah. from New mm -hmm. Jersey State Police. She yeah. was very um, kind and came to speak with her parents. Um, I guess it was towards the end of last year. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to say the presentation was phenomenal. As yeah, to me, as scary as it was helpful. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, because it's really one of those things that you say to yourself, it's not going to happen to my kids. And um, the people that try to target kids are very smart. Mm. Um, and our kids are very naive. And so that combination, together with parents not being able to provide the oversight, is very scary. Um, I, and Mary Nice did speak about this earlier, but I think, you know, we can't win this war. We can't win it because the technology is advanced. I, I consider myself pretty tech-oriented, like, I, you know, I, I sort of understand, but 
I'm not ahead of the game. Even mm. though I do think I'm pretty tech savvy, my kids are way ahead of me. And so I feel like the right thing to do is to try to teach the kids um, the underlying, sort of, you know, it used to be snapped. I remember when my older son was in the middle school and there was a huge thing about Snapchat and how messages disappear. Now maybe it's TikTok. Right. So the, the technology changes, but we have to teach our kids. The ethical code. The, yeah. What yeah. What is danger? Mm -hmm. what, what things do they need to look out for so that, you know, if they come across a new application, a new technology, you know, okay, if I just tell them don't use TikTok or don't use Snapchat, yeah, that's not yeah, going to be useful in two, right. two years from now. Um, it's really interesting because I think that the idea of parent burnout plays into this. So yes. one of the underlying concepts of parent burnout is that your resources aren't ample enough to deal with everything that's coming your way, right? right? So we, I don't know how you feel. Um, I think we went through different stages mm -hmm. through COVID, and right now I think that we're still dealing with mm -hmm. the stressors of COVID, right? So COVID is considered a macro stressor, very much the same way as a natural disaster is considered a macro stressor, okay. right? And so that brings a certain amount of stress to a system. And then there's the daily hassles, the micro stressors. So we have those micro stressors just as we're living our lives, but then we have the micro stressors that are brought to us by COVID. So if we think about it, we're really being bombarded by two types of micro stressors, those daily hassles that would have been there anyway, the daily hassles called, caused by COVID, and then COVID is like a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. And I am wondering about how parents are feeling regarding their availability of resources, emotional resources, resources kind of dealing with um, moms who had babies during COVID, right? Developmentally, are they going to be the same because the masks were on? What's their language going to be? What's the what are the fine motor skills going to be because you know they were on screens? Um, and then also, I was hoping that we would have learned a couple of more lessons and not have had the push to be back to normal. Mm. So our kids are now coming back to school until 3, 3.10. They're having a snack. And then they're going to do their sports or their extra activities. And then they're coming home, having dinner maybe 7 or 8, doing homework and going to bed. So we've put them back on the hamster wheel, right? Yeah. It so, went back quickly, too. <laughs> so so my perception, my children are much older. I have a 31-year-old and I have a 28-year-old. So, you know, as I look at them, it's different. Right. Yeah. So are you feeling like you guys are back on the hamster wheel? Oh, it. like I was shocked at how quickly people just jumped right back into it because we were because I've always been a little bit more like I don't schedule my kids my kids are not we're just we're, that's just not what what we've chosen to do as parents and we let them explore and do stuff and have their alone time because I think people forget that it's so important for kids to be bored like that's where yeah, creativity, yeah, creativity comes, comes yeah. from <laughs> And even for yourself. Mm -hmm. And, like, we're constantly distracted. And I think parents have, like, because of everything, I think they stopped listening to themselves. Mm -hmm. And so 
they don't even know what they need anymore. Like they don't, and and they don't know how to listen to their a their intuition, or what what it is that they need to to be doing. Because I think they're they're just so like I think COVID shut us down, and then it was like this push to go back to pre-COVID life without really thinking about all the wonderful. Agreed. Like changes that COVID did provide for us. Mm-hmm. COVID, like, do I wish it happened? Absolutely not. But there were a lot of benefits. And I don't think parents, I mean, I've had conversations in grocery stores with parents because they're like, oh, I'm so worried about the kids who are behind. And I'm like, just like you were saying, they're more advanced than they would have been. In some areas. In yeah. some, yes, yes, in some areas. But the other areas, they'll catch up. Like, those things, they will, I think they will catch up. But are they even meant to catch up? Or, well, or are we supposed to be using this as, like, a, an existential time to well, evaluate I mean, like, where we need to be? It brings back to basic. Right. Yeah. But I just think about Venice, okay, and how people were saying that the marine life was coming back into <laughs> existence, right? And I just felt, wow, this could be used as a really cleansing period for us. But your analogy about things opened up and it was a floodgate. Mm-hmm. Instead of deciding to retain the positive things and get rid of the negative yeah. things, the floodgate just opened. Like, parent, they don't know how to evaluate. Mm-hmm. Like, but, And I think part of it is the societal messages to be busy, do the things. Like, you got to do all the things because if you don't do all the things, then you're not a success. And But I, I do think that some people, I, I feel like it was a switch. It was turned back on. Yeah. But I do think that people, at least some people, did take some of the learnings and try to incorporate. So, um, you know, I think during COVID, we had probably dinner together as a family, obviously every night, if not lunch too, right? Mm-hmm. Probably, that, if you add them up, those dinners, it's probably more than we've had, you know, we ever had. Um, it's not that we didn't try before, but with the crazy life, it just didn't work out. Right. We are trying harder to make that happen. And I think even the kids, you know, it's, it's, they feel it's rare if we're not eating together. Mm, so that changed nice. the mindset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It changed the mindset. I think a lot of people that work from home realize that, you know, they spend two hours in a car. Mm-hmm. And now those two hours are dedicated to the kids Maybe they go out for a run. Maybe they do something for themselves. They, yeah. Maybe they work another two hours and they get more done. I think people are, you know, not easily going. Some people might enjoy going back to the office, but I think a lot of people are rethinking it, mm-hmm. you know, and businesses as well. You know, do I really need to be in the office? I, I was able to be effective and efficient working from home, and it let me have more time with my kids. Um, so I think... You know, while that button was turned on, I think people are still reevaluating. I think something, you know, again, they're well, because you know, we're still things. we're still in it. Like, I mean, we're we're Definitely. hopefully getting towards the end now that 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 more vaccine. <laughs> I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. I was in Brickell, Florida this past weekend. I don't think they think COVID actually exists. Oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> that ever oh. There are definite states that, like, you probably might not want to visit for the next couple mm. of years. But, but I think, yes, there is that evaluation, but there is that also pull 
of like businesses wanting people back in the office without without I'm sorry without evaluating the positives. And yeah, I don't. But I think now that that genie's out of the bottle, people aren't going to be aren't going to want to commute and and be in the office as much. And I think businesses are going to have to adjust to that. So I think in the fields of industrial psychology, my daughter's getting a master's degree in industrial psychology, and she's Amazing. looking at like productivity in the workplace. Productivity has actually increased yeah. since people were home because you made the point there's two hours, so how am I going to divvy up that those two hours? A lot of people are glad to give an extra half hour to work, right, and mm -hmm. then have the time for family and, and for self-care, running, whatever. So I, so I do think... Industry is saying, hey, Henry Ford's model of using our car to get back and forth between home and work is really outdated. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who are deciding, I'm going to use this time to travel so they're, they're able to work and they're exploring different cities and they're looking Definitely. at different lifestyles. I think it's amazing. Um, and I think companies, and I think this younger generation is like, I don't want to be like my mother. She did everything. Yeah. Well, that's and that's another thing yeah. about like I think ma like women, we're sort of like sold this bill of of of, of services that like you need to, you know, you, you know have your family, but you should be working too. And it's like. But who was that really benefiting? Like, I think on some level, yes, women, like, should be able to be fulfilled. Yeah. But I think the work, like, like the nine-to-five kind of wow. career ladder doesn't do women serve, like, enough credit. So I think or this new generation, my, my daughter always says, there's no way I'm doing what you did, Mom. It's like, there's let the, no like, way. the pause. Like, yep. I think women should, or, or, or any parent should be encouraged to have the pause of raising their family. Take a pause because you develop so much as a human mm -hmm. when you're raising a human. You're dealing with your stuff. Yeah, you're dealing with your stuff in ways that you never thought, you know. Mm -hmm. So if we encourage that in society, and then once the kids no longer are dependent on us, having a whole nother career, like, you know, and yeah, because it's not, your know, life isn't over when you're 65. You know, I mean, I'm not there yet. No, I know you're not. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, we don't have to retire no. the way, you know, no, we're not physically. Not. And if we could use that experience and and intellect of, of the 65-year-old and encourage that, like, so then you have, then taking 18 years to raise your family doesn't sound so bad, you know. But so I think it's about choice, mm -hmm. and I think using the technology to provide a platform for men and women to be able to maneuver between home life and professional growth yes. is something that we need to continue to embrace. Agreed. I would love to see some of the things that my daughter talks about happening in the world of, in the corporate world and even in um, the federal government happen in education. I don't 100%. know how we could do that, but 
Mr. Nicasio knows that I'm a big advocate of play, so I would love to see, like even if it has to be, even if we can't change the hours of the school day, really examining what's the academic learning time that's down, right? And how can we use that downtime in a way that really helps grow creativity, grow wellness, and I think it's more downtime. But, and better know. digital citizens. And better, yeah. better, better digital <laughs> well, I remember all these uh, tech corporations that had like a ping pong table and a yeah. unicycle guy or, you know, whatever. There, there was like time to, you know, it wasn't your traditional nine to five anymore because, you know, who knows what the most effective time is for every person has a different exactly. yeah. different time where they're the best at so what are they doing. I know that you usually do something towards the end and we're probably reaching the end, but I would love for um, you guys to talk about the upcoming event with Dr. Paquette and hopefully some you know, Demers parents will listen to this podcast and then join us on November 18th. So I'm going to give that to you guys. Oh. <laughs> we're like, we'll go first. Well, we're very excited about having Dr. Paquette come and do this talk. I think parents um, just need a boost of positivity and how to make those choices. Because I think parent, I think sometimes parents feel like they don't have a choice. Like, it's so hard. Everything's so hard. It's so exhausting. But I do think... There is a choice, and learning how to bring gratitude into your day, like all of the different exercises that he has provided in, in mm -hmm. some of his books. Um, if you just do one, like the article says, mm -hmm. micro micro habit, or it was micro breaks. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be this whole revolutionary change. Just doing a little, you know. So every night I do with my son. We talk about what, what we're grateful for for the day. Just three things. Also, we at dinner time, when we sit as a family, we talk about, we, we have this book of positivity that we read from. Mm -hmm. And it's become a tradition that we started over COVID and that has stayed. And so I, I think Dr. Paquette is a wealth of information and that parents... If they just take away one thing and add that, a nugget, yep. one gold nugget, that will be invaluable to them, and then they, they'll they have that success and they'll want to build on it. Yeah, I'm really excited because I feel like um, he's going to be able to provide me, us, with tools that we can use that will make us feel a bit more in control. Um, I think, you know, it's it's a big thing to say, how can I be happy? How can I not feel burnt out? But if I feel like I, it would be helpful for me to have some more tools, things that I can do to help um, alleviate that, that burnout feeling, I think that would be really helpful. So it doesn't have to be, as you said, that doesn't have to be something big. It could be something small, but I think uh, I'm excited to hear, you know, what he has to say because I think they're going to be very practical tools. Yes. That... So he's a clinical director. He's also a researcher. He's researched happiness and awe and the impact on kind of human <coughs> resilience. And Mr. Nikhazian, you've got the pleasure. Now, this is, this is, program is going to be over Zoom. Yes. yes. Now, the reason why I'm asking is because um, you, you, sometimes you. when you're you have these feelings and you're, you feel isolated and you don't realize this, you have a common mm -hmm. common humanity yes. and you're not alone. And over Zoom, which we found out when we were in, with Dr. Paquette's, you can 
type in chat. It's a lot easier than saying it. It's a lot easier than verbalizing. So if you can type in chat something, you're going to, like we found out, a lot of people have the same yes. stuff going on. You know, it might, you might be a little more comfortable. You know, we, I, I text more than I, like when I get a phone call, I'm like, oh, something's crazy. <laughs> but te- if I text it, it's a lot different. So if I'm typing in my chat something or a common issue, I think that'll, that'll help people, even though we're in our own house in our pajamas or wherever, we still will feel closer to people because we're not going to feel that isolation. No, I think that's one thing that technology, I think, really is amazing at is helping people find community. And I think if we focus on the positives, like, you know, I know there's Facebook's been in the news about all the negative stuff, and I, but I think there is an antidote to that. It's about teaching, you know, like, because if you look for the positives, you will find the positives. And it's like about training your brain. And I think Dr. Paquette is all about training your brain yes. to look for the positives, the happiness, the making those choices. And that's what our kids need to, because it's easier, they get the, 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 the fix of whatever <laughs> from saying the mean thing because like that makes them feel good but it's like it's it's like eating a candy bar whereas like if you're building on the kindness that and he'll actually talk about the different parts of the brain that are activated if you're displaying you know um goodness or kindness or self-compassion he'll talk about the hippocampus the amygdala mm-hmm. and how uh, dopamine and serotonin and whatnot you know come into play with that so there's actual research yeah. behind the positive psychology so now i'm going to do some self plugging and promotion you already know about lle challenge i started this thing called the lle challenge we're doing project-based activities for the entire lle school community and every month we're doing a new challenge this is this month's challenge is creating a thankful stone Mm. where you're going to write thankful on one side and then what you're thankful for on the other and there's all these little great things and we actually if you on our way on your way out check out the display case we have two so far i'm hoping to get more students but I also have like a little video on me creating my my stone. So this is one of those other things you can do with your family, things that you're thankful for, things, things that you're great. grateful for. It's those little things and, you know, talking to the kids yeah. about yeah. that and, and, and giving them that positive yeah. reinforcement and, of it. We also do something similar where, like, right around bedtime and good nights, it's what was the most important part of your day, and mm-hmm. we really focus on it. My daughter's, you know, four, and she's already getting into it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it really f- forces you to slow down. And, you know, just like the title is Just Breathe, you know, you're, it forces you to slow down and breathe and, and uh, you know, t- try not to take everything so fast, 110 miles an hour, and try not to take life for granted. Yeah. Don't be a human doer. Be a human being. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. So you know what? Every time we always kind of wrap up with something a little fun and a little different. Here's the question. What is one dish, since it's the Thanksgiving season, that reminds you of your childhood? I mean, I'll start with you. Uh, with with my, my, just to get the ball rolling is is a dish called sadaman, which is an, like an Armenian dish. It's stuffed grape leaves, mm-hmm. and I remember growing up and like my aunts and my mom. Everyone is sitting around like a big pile of grape leaves, just communal rolling of these grape leaves, and it's labor intensive, but. Thinking of those special occasions when they took the time to wrap these grape leaves, where 
you know, totally brings me back to my childhood, you know. So I have two dishes. I have coco vin, because my mom is French, and she always made phenomenal coco vin. Um, when I was in high school, she had a big pot on the oven, she, and she had left it there to cool off and had gone, I don't know, someplace else. And I came home um, <laughs> with a bunch of guys who were wrestlers. And <laughs> is that a different You podcast? don't need to say more. <laughs> What direction did this podcast go? Uh, <laughs> and my poor mom, when she came home, dinner was gone. Oh, <laughs> oh, it smelled amazing. And the um, wrestling coaches were not happy with her. They actually gave her a phone call and said, you cannot be feeding my wrestlers. They're not going to make weight. <laughs> they didn't make weight, no. So there's that. And then there's um, pasta and meatballs from my dad's side mm. of the family. You know, I came from a very large... Italian family, and there was always a pot of gravy on the oven, and my mom tried to do that, you know, she, she replicated that, so, yep. So I, oh, um, I also have two dishes. <laughs> <laughs> so one is kreplach, mm. yeah. which is, um, yeah, they're like, uh, what do you call, what would you call them? It's like, um, it's like a dumpling, yeah, meat like a dumpling, dumpling, yeah. That we eat in soup. My, originally, my family's from Lithuania, mm-hmm. um, and so on my dad's side, it was a huge thing. Like, every Friday nights, we would get together for kreplach, and uh, my grandmother would prepare it, and when she passed away, then, you know, the, each family would prepare it, and it was, we would switch around, because it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work to prepare it, but my dad and my uncles, and I, my dad's uncle, too, they would compete who could eat. it was I mean it's very filling like they would have bowls of soup with I don't know how many and then how many bowls you know every night it was really crazy so that's one thing but you know I just remember everybody around the table together which was you know really great that's lovely yeah yeah and then um, on my mom's side um we used to call it beetroot soup it's basically beetroot soup with like sour cream inside Mm. I loved it and um I don't have the recipe from my grandmother, (laughs) unfortunately, but it was really good. (laughs) Well, definitely pasta is always like spaghetti (laughs) because I grew up with my mom is Italian and we always spend holidays with her. And my grandfather, we always, so for Thanksgiving, you just had pasta and then the turkey. But the other thing, when I was little, or still, my grandmother would make something called ambrosia salad, which is with marshmallow. Was she Italian also? Yes. Because yes. we had that also. It's, it's marshmallows, sour cream, mandarin, canned mandarin oranges, and crushed pineapple. And coconut. coconut. Shredded coconut. coconut. Shred and coconut. she would make it in one of those, like, you know, 1970s jello pans. Mm-hmm. And... I was the only one that ate it, and I loved it, and my aunt still makes it for me, and I, again, am the only one that eats it, like, no one else, but it's, that was my, because it was, I don't know why, but, and it's like, once I knew that it was, like, sour cream, I was like, how does it taste so amazing, but it does. My dad was always like, that's gross. Chocolate mousse, too, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've actually kind of, uh, in my wife's family, my wife's family is Jewish, and 
instead of just going there to eat now, it's kind of modified where you make it and then eat it. Mm-hmm. So that just brings more memories, like crepe lock, uh-huh. like there's like a sitting around the table making yep. a crepe lock or with my mom making the baklava or whatever. So yeah. it's more like it just adds to your fondness because now you're making it, you're learning it, and you're it's having the shared experience, yeah. and then and then, you, and then and you're then eating it. it. So it's kind of like adds a little twist to it where you're not just going there to eat. You're, yeah. you know, you get I've to always enjoy. loved Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving yeah. has yeah. always been well, my favorite holiday. That's a perfect lead-in. <laughs> if you're having sweet potatoes, are you having just roasted or with the marshmallows? <laughs> that, that was the third thing that I was going to say. <laughs> that was the other dish that I love. Like, yeah, obviously I like marshmallows. But yeah, the marshmallow. So I started making that because my husband's family doesn't eat that. And I started making it. And it was so funny to watch all of my husband's siblings and their wives and, and my nephews devour it. So, like, you know, it's like, but it's like, that was something we always had on the Thanksgiving table. Uh, no marshmallows, but some brown sugar. Brown sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Have you ever? We, you know, honestly, um... We typically celebrate Thanksgiving with different people, mm-hmm. yeah. and so it's always been like a combination of traditions, and I haven't really experienced the marshmallows. I might have to make you some at house. It's like dessert, but like you get to eat it with your dinner. <laughs> you know, now that I think about it, like why isn't there like candied sweet potato ice cream? There is. Is there? Artisanal ice cream, okay. There's a farm in Closer really? that wow. they wow. had artisanal ice cream, and they, cool. it was. I've got to try it. It was like sweet potato. Because I had lavender honey ice cream. That was pretty mm. good. So. Those are artisanal ice creams. <laughs> yeah. And I have seen Thanksgiving soda, so I don't, I don't know if I'm going to drink yeah. that. But. <laughs> You never know. Is that like pumpkin spice beer or no? I don't know. (laughs) know, This was my first time I've ever had a pumpkin spice anything this year. (laughs) It was not terrible. Not terrible. Not terrible. But, well, I apologize for having to leave. That's okay. It's kind of like, you know, the Ed Sullivan show. I'm spinning plates. That's <laughs> what's going on at the same time, but okay. like, whatever. Okay, well, that was fun. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. What did you think? Was it terrible? See? Guess what? <laughs> Almost an hour. Yeah. Did you think it was? No, that's no. crazy. Okay. Almost no, 50, was, 52 yeah. minutes. We're at 52 yeah, minutes, so it kind of flies by. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, when you're having a conversation, it's like, it's fun, and yeah, it's just recorded, and then if you are brave enough to listen to it again. Yeah. You will be. Yep. You can follow us on Anchor. We'll be on Anchor. And then, of course, all the school websites, too. Yep. And uh, and that was it. Hey. Thank you. Thank you Thank for joining you. us. Very open good. invite if you want to come back in the springtime. We'll Definitely. do something else in the springtime. Right. Yeah, and it'll be great. And, uh, hey, this is our outro music. Did I get our volume up? Same exact as before. Thank you for listening to the Just Breathe podcast brought to you by the Denver Child Study Team. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm. More frequently? Yes, absolutely. We're definitely going to do one in a couple of weeks? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs>